0: Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast with Aaron Holt, Functional Nutritionist. I work with clients on the seacoast of New Hampshire and virtually all over the world through both private consultations and online nutrition programs. I'm here with my co-host, Kyle Mayorana, Registered Dietitian of Root Down Nutrition based in Asheville, North Carolina. We are both board-certified integrative and functional nutritionists. This means we dive deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. In this podcast, we will address all things health, food, and nutrition, discussing our research, clinical experience, and life experience. Please keep in mind our disclaimer, this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or medical treatment. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Hey gang, Erin here. I'm solo today and I'm continuing the conversation from last week where we talked about haze and intuitive eating. This is really like a two-part discussion, so I highly recommend... Going back and listening to episode sixty four, which is part one of this topic, if you haven't done that already, um, I'm actually going to get to bring on a naturopath who uses Hayes principles in her practice. Um, She's going to come on the show. I would say within sometime over the next month, so it will be really exciting to hear her point of view because she is a Hayes practitioner, and so maybe she can clear up some of the. the confusion around it for some of us Um, today I'm going to talk to you specifically about weight loss which is honestly kind of a hard topic to address Uh, as I mentioned last week we've really mixed up weight loss with health gain and that's not always the way that it plays out And in fact quite often it's actually not uh, but it's our societal belief, and it's also the story that we hear over and over again. It's the story that companies use to sell their weight loss products. I mean, you'll see before and after photos talking about how healthy somebody got, like, right? Like, look at this photo, look at this photo, see how healthy she got. And that's whether that's like a isogenics or a Beachbody. I mean, there's certainly other companies doing the same exact thing. Those are just the first two that come to mind. And honestly, I just call BS on all of it. Um, if you want to prove how healthy somebody got, like post their blood lipids, post their hormones. I'd love to see a Dutch test to see what their cortisol is doing. Are they in a stress response? Um, post the actual biomarkers of health. If you want to talk about health, all those photos are showing is that they lost body weight, um, but you know it's being marketed as health gain. So this message is constantly reinforced. And I kind of touched on this last week, but my belief is that when you're posting those images, you're actually just telling us what body shapes you really value. So you got to check yourself quite a bit there. Um, I think we just have to dismantle the whole belief system. Um, So much of the work that I do in the world and on this podcast is trying to upend this paradigm. So to come and do a show about weight loss honestly feels really weird. I talked about it at a lecture I gave a few months ago, and um, it was really well received. So I was able to see um, in talking to, I don't know, like a group of 30 or 40 people, how much this information needs to get out there, how much it needs to be discussed, how little it's discussed, how little it's understood. Um, And it's just super duper important because we're all trying so desperately to lose weight But we never ask ourselves the one most important question, which is, am I a good candidate for weight loss? We have to analyze that. We have to be able to self audit and um, look at our lives and look at our context and really figure out if that is true for us. Um, Because if it turns out that we're in fact not a good candidate for weight loss at any given point in our life, then it's like beating our head against a brick wall. And I think this is why so many people get frustrated with their weight loss attempts and failures. So that's a lot of the stuff that I'm going to uh, pick apart today. I'm going to talk about the most common weight loss resistant factors um, that we tend to see and maybe some not so common ones as well. And really talk about the whole calorie thing, but ask more importantly, at what point do you need to start thinking about calories? Um, so we're going to get into all of that. And before we do, I have a super exciting announcement. I am <laughs> back in school. So I just signed uh, enrolled in a year-long functional medicine mentorship program. It's been something I've been thinking about for a long time, and really looking at different programs to figure out what was the most appropriate for me. And hey, just as a heads up, I get a lot of people emailing me or DMing me about um, like how do I get into functional medicine? You know, what's the best program? What do you think I should do? And I can never answer those questions. So if those questions go unanswered, just I'm sorry about it. I don't I don't know you. I love you dearly, but I don't know, you know, your path, how long you've been on the path, where you're looking to go. I mean, there's so many different ways to get into this world, and you just have to find the thing that's most appropriate for you. I do offer um, a pick my brain ses- 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 session. You can find that on my website. So if you want to talk through your different options and talk through, you know, your goals and your background, I'd be more than happy to do that for you uh, during my office hours. But it's really not something that I can just like say, hey, in a quick DM, like, uh, let me analyze your whole entire career trajectory. I actually can't do that. So um, I found one that was right for me after uh, talking to a lot of different people and a lot of phone calls, a lot of text messages, a lot of emails. And um, figured out what yeah what was what was the most exciting for me what made the most sense for my next steps and I am just wicked excited I'll be mentoring underneath a physician who has um, not mentoring I'll be underneath a physician who's been running his practice for 25 years and it's just like really good stuff so I want to throw this out there if you've been thinking about working one-on-one with me this is the year to do it I am so serious about that. I am going to be in such a network of, um, super smart people and, um, it's going to be awesome. So I am opening up some spots in the upcoming months. Um, I have a wait list. So, you know, obviously my wait list will get first dibs on any openings, of course. And if you want to get added to that wait list, head over to my website, aaronholthealthcom forward slash membership and fill out the application form there. And uh, the next step after that point, if you're a good fit for the membership is to, um, we'll get on a free 15 minute phone call to to discuss next steps. And that is the only way that I take individual clients is uh, through my membership program. But also remember that I'm going to start extending that functional medicine, functional nutrition work into my group programs like Your Hormone Revival, which is going to start in September. So stay tuned. I'll be announcing more information about all that coming up. So that's what's new with me. Now let's talk about weight loss. I'm going to reread the question that we read last episode because part of what I'm going to talk about today answers this this particular question, um, and it's why I'm talking about it. So this came in from Anonymous, and they ask, I have listened to every episode and fully understand your stance on diet culture and all the fads that come along with it. My question is, what do you suggest if you actually do have to lose some weight? I know BMI isn't the best marker, but when you're in the high end of the obese category, there are some actual benefits to losing a few pounds. For the most part, I eat whole foods, I rarely eat processed food, but do have an undeniable sweet tooth. I don't overindulge, but try not to restrict myself completely, as we all know that behavior always backfires. Couldn't agree more with everything she just said. And um, last week, we started to talk about like, do you actually have weight to lose, right? Because sometimes in our heads, our quote unquote ideal body isn't actually what um is the most appropriate for our health so we talked a little bit about that last week now i'm going to go into like more of the weight loss side of things and one thing that i do want to say as much as we're like stop worrying about the weight stop worrying about the weight stop worrying about the weight i will say that random weight gain or slowly gaining weight over time or some like significant big body composition changes can be data. Now, sometimes it's just like the natural progression of our body. I mean, I talk about it a lot. Our bodies change. They're meant to change. They are not meant to look the same our entire lives, right? But if all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I just gained 25 pounds out of nowhere. Or like, what the heck? I'm having a super hard time putting on muscle and I feel like I have more body fat than I ever did. Like big – changes or like slow and steady changes. That can be data. It can be an indication that something is going on within the body that needs your attention. And I say this assuming that you're already eating a healthful diet with enough calories, because if you're under eating, that first has to be addressed. I'll talk about that more specifically later on. Um, undereating for a long period of time or yo-yo dieting can make shifts in your metabolism, which we've talked about on the show before. But um, it sounds like this listener kind of has all those things dialed in. So the first place that we have to start is that, that big question, am I actually a good candidate for weight loss? The biggest question that comes next, like the follow-up question is, are you under stress? We talked about in the burnout episode, which was so phenomenal, I interviewed a therapist who talked about stress and burnout, and she used a bathtub analogy. And you have to assess for yourself how full is your bathtub. Now, I have folks and clients who are like, yeah, I'm not really under that much stress. So you have to start really picking apart like But am I? Like, how much do I have on my plate? Or how much do I have in my bathtub? You have to understand, and nobody wants to freaking admit this, but weight loss is a stressor. Weight loss is a stressor to your body. So if your bathtub, if your stress tub is already filled to the brim, you have to first make room in your tub. And again, to stick with that therapist analogy, it's not by scooping water out, but it's by turning off the freaking faucet. You know, you have to stop the water from coming in in the first place. And some of that water coming in might be your weight loss attempts. So think about that. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, you're probably like, what are you even talking about? But for those of you who have, I love that analogy. I think it's really powerful and e- easy for us to wrap our heads around. So these are some questions that I pose to um, I po- will pose to people. Think about some potential stressors in your life, a stressful work environment, maybe a stressful situation with your boss or coworkers. Having um, a long commute to work or getting stuck in traffic frequently on your way to work or wherever you need to go, having a stressful home situation, having a stressful relationship, financial stress, um, illness in a family member, having to be a caretaker for somebody, whether that's littles or even adults or, um, you know, disabled children, you know, think about all the ways that we that we can be caretakers. That's a stressor. Um, let's see, being overwhelmed by things to do, just like that feeling of like, you're never going to get all the things you have to do done, like always feeling underwater. Um, having a chronic illness yourself, that's a stressor. Running late all the time, feeling like you're always constantly running late and being stressed about it. I know people that run late all the time and they are not stressed about it. (laughs) So if it's not a stressor for you, cool. Um, You know, we also have to go way back, like childhood trauma, uh, childhood stress, repressed emotion. um, Also looking at dietary stress, low blood sugar, right? Um, Either being too busy to eat, Uh, skipping meals on purpose, skipping meals accidentally, relying on caffeine or like uh, caffeine just to like give you energy, get you through the day. That can contribute to blood sugar fluctuations. Eating a diet high in processed carbs, intermittent fasting as a female, all of these things can be wildly stressful to the body. And then we start to layer on stress. So like how many people don't sleep a full eight hours at night? that's a stressor. Um, if you are exercising daily, exercise is wonderful, but it's also a physical stressor to the body. If you're actively trying to lose weight, that's a stressor to the body. If you're under eating calories, if you're restricting calories with the intention of losing weight, that's another stressor to the body. So you start to see how full, how quickly our bathtub can become full with all of these stressors. So when I ask you, are you under stress? You're probably like. Uh, no, not too much. But then when we start to really analyze our lives and look at all the stressors, we're like, oh, shoot, yeah, okay, maybe I am under stress. So we do have to self evaluate, we have to self audit, and we have to ask ourselves based on my stress bathtub, is this actually a good time for me to attempt to lose weight? You have to acknowledge. I first got this concept from. Chris Masterjohn, who's a dude. And I was like, if a dude's saying this, like I'm really gonna listen, right? He 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 what he said is that there is a time to lose weight and there is a time not to lose weight. And I was like, damn. That is so freaking good. And you got to acknowledge that the right time, it's not dictated by the calendar year. So it's not like, oh, I have a high school reunion coming up or I have a wedding coming up or it's swimsuit t- season. That's that's not what I'm talking about by the right time. It's actually dictated by your context, by your stress load, by how full your bathtub is at any given moment. When you're under stress, your body is essentially asking you, uh, are we going to be okay? Like, do we have enough resources to get through this stressor? And if it doesn't feel that way, it might start to gain weight. Gaining weight is one of the body's ways of saying like, hey, don't worry. I got you. I've got resources in place. We are going to make it through this stressful time. I got your back. And then what we do is just get like super pissed off and we're like what's happening my body's out of control and we try to like rip the weight away and essentially what we're saying is like i don't care if my body is worried i don't care what my body is saying i am going to lose try to lose weight anyway so instead there needs to be this shift into how can i convince my body that everything is going to be okay? How can I get my body out of a stress response? How can I increase my body's confidence? Because the fact of the matter is, for most of us, our bodies need to know that it's safe before it's going to release weight. This is a big thing that I talk about in my carb compatibility project. When we look at the whole intuitive eating piece, it is how safe do you feel at any given moment? If there's moments of that fight or flight, or if you're not feeling safe around food, or if you're not feeling safe in your life, you can't ask your body to release one of its safety mechanisms, for lack of a better term. And if you're a long-term yo-yo dieter, your body probably doesn't feel safe. It doesn't have a whole lot of confidence in a steady food source because what we do is like we take the food away and then we bail because we're actually hungry. We eat, we eat and then we take the food away. We're like on these perpetual diets or always telling our body like be on the lookout for starvation because it's probably going to come your way. Um so if that sounds like you, if you are kind of a chronic dieter, yo-yo dieter, your starting point would probably just be to consistently eat an appropriate amount of food, eat appropriate amount of calories for a while rather than constantly trying to lose weight. So like tell your body it's safe. Tell your body food scarcity isn't a problem. Tell your body like it's okay, we're going to build up this confidence together before you attempt to lose weight. Now, when I say an appropriate amount of calories, the um, there's many different um, caloric formulas. The one that I tend to use and like, I've, t- I've mentioned it to you guys before, it's called the Body Weight Planner. I will link to it in the show notes um, so you can go in and kind of figure out like what your maintenance goal is. And that's what I'm talking about. Like not constantly eating below your maintenance, um, you know, your caloric needs for maintenance, for body maintenance. So um, you basically want to prepare your body so it gets to a place where it feels okay. It feels safe to lose weight. And at that point, you can start to focus on your fitness goals. At that point, you can start to focus on your weight loss goals, but not before. So you must de-stress first. That is like numero uno, and it's the thing that's just kind of like totally overlooked. Um, When weight loss takes top priority, It sabotages our de-stressing efforts most of the time, and so that's why if like you're like, all right, I'm gonna de-stress my life, and I'm gonna lose weight. Um, maybe not. Okay, maybe not. And that's something that I have to say to clients over and over again. Like, what's your number one goal? Is it weight loss or is it health? Because those goals cannot always coexist. Those goals can't coincide. You know, if you've got adrenal fatigue, you gotta fix the the underlying problem first. So if you're trying to address, you know, adrenal fatigue or HPA axis dysfunction and lose weight, something's going to give. One of those two things is going to give. When we put weight loss on a pedestal, when we like hoist it up above all of our other health concerns, we tend to pursue that goal even when our body is begging us to stop. We stop listening to our own internal cues. So like we might be getting like headaches or feeling like super fatigued after a hard workout or feeling like we need to like nap after a workout or like um, just feeling like totally leveled or we might feel super hungry all the time because we're under eating, but we're like, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to pursue my weight loss goals despite all of that. And that's when we start to get into the scary place of thinking things like my body is out of control or my body is fighting me, right? We get into that headspace. It becomes our body's fault when in fact, it's just your body trying to keep you safe. And so that is a very important distinction. That's something to really, really, really consider. Um, I think, I didn't really want to talk about this, but I think it's important just to give it some Personal context and kind of explain what I mean when I'm talking about all of this, and I'll use myself as an example. I recently mentioned on the podcast that I'm trying to put on muscle mass. After I said that, I went back and I was like, I hope that doesn't that wasn't misconstrued in any way, um, because body aesthetics are not my primary goal by a long shot. Been there, done that. I'm good. Um, so I wanna, I wanna take a moment to expand on that a little bit. Um, I am only tinkering with body composition because I've been at a steady place with my health for a while now. Let me be clear. For me, getting healthy and putting an autoimmune disease into remission involved getting bigger. I am up at least a full size from where I was a few years ago when I was at my sickest and most unstable. So now I'm at a place where I can start to question, huh, can I maintain my health while increasing my strength, my endurance, and my fitness? But my health is still my utmost priority. And I mean that 100%. I am unwilling to sacrifice my health for any fitness aesthetic or body composition goal ever because for a long time my goal was just survival i saw what it was like on the other side so i do not take this body for granted not for one second and i would never again be so foolish to compromise my greatest gift my greatest asset my greatest privilege my health for something as stupid and fleeting as as a smaller jean size you know People will often ask me, how do you, you know, how do you do all that you do? How do you handle it all? And it's so simple, you guys. I eat. I fuel my creation. I fuel my brain power. I fuel my activity. I take care of myself. So I feel like I have the power to take on the world. and I am not willing to give that up. So if I feel any of that start to backslide, my fitness goals will take an immediate backseat. And I want to be so clear about that, okay? I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth here. Like that is the God's honest truth. Like I was getting choked up as I say it. Like that is, that is it in a nutshell. And it's unfortunate that I had to like, I had to get sick in order to see that. You know, I was I was listening to Grace Liu, who's a microbiome expert. She's brilliant. Um, I was listening to a lecture. Um, kind of recently, where she was talking about she had to um, heal and fix her metabolism. She had a lot of metabolic damage for for um, she was a triathlete for a while, I believe, and you know that can take its toll on the body. And she said in order to fix her metabolism, like now she's in great, you know, she's in great shape, great health, great energy, all of that. But in order to fix her metabolism, she had to gain weight. So. It's not an uncommon thing. Sometimes, you know, it might be that body safety mechanism. Like we might have to throw some extra weight on our bodies, on our frames to truly heal. Like in order to create ATP, like in order to create energy, we have to, you know, we have to eat, dude, you know. And in order to heal, we have to have a surplus of ATP, a surplus of energy that oftentimes comes from healthy foods. So um, with all of that said, Let's move into some things that can hold back weight loss. So if, if you're feeling like, dude, I'm doing everything right. This doesn't make any sense. You know, like I'm moving. I'm, I'm eating right. What's going on here? Kind of like what this listener is saying. Like, you know, I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. What's going on? Um So the biggest, I would say the biggest and probably most common weight loss resistant factor is lack of sleep. I heard a stat that people in the US sleep two and a half hours less per night than we did in the 1970s. Two and a half hours, that's Crazy. That's so, so much less sleep. Um, I think our culture really values achievement and productivity over health. So sleep loss just becomes like a badge of honor, right? Like it's just like busyness. I'm so busy. I'm so, you know, I'm so tired. I don't have enough time to sleep. And a lot of people, I've heard people like boast, like, I only need five hours of sleep. I can just get by. I'm like, how long is that going to last, though? Like before – again, like how's your thyroid health? How are your hormones? How's your cortisol levels? they doing good on five hours of sleep? I don't know. I mean there's always the outliers. Of course there is. There's always the outliers. You know, I think about like Olymp- uh, Olympians or like – um Olympic athletes or like, you know, like the the people with crazy genes, right? That's not most of us. That's the exception to the rule, not the rule itself. So some people might actually only need a few, you know, like five hours of sleep a night or something, but most of us are needing like seven to nine. And if you're healing from something, that number actually gets bumped up even more. So under sleeping, that's, I guess, a new term uh, that I just coined. Not sleeping enough will impair your insulin sensitivity. So that's not a good thing. You're more likely to get insulin resistant. Um, It increases gut permeability. So it directly affects the health of your gut, increases inflammation, impairs immune function. It can alter your hormones. It can lead to cravings and increase appetite. I mean, you can totally relate to this. Like a night after you didn't sleep well, you're just like, I need all the food. Like I need all the food, give me all the carbs too. Um, and it all it also impairs cognition. So you're like foggy, foggy thinking. Um, I was talking to Kyle, I, I wish she was on the show right now because she could probably toss this out, but she was, she was talking about a stat she had recently heard where um, sleeping like under six hours a night is like, and then getting into a car is akin to drunk driving or something like that. I'm probably butchering it, but it was something along those lines. So our brain isn't functioning at max capacity, but it also it also can absolutely since it's such a stressor to the body, it can um, hold back any weight loss efforts. It basically, if you're not sleeping, it's going to compound all of your other health issues. Um, I honestly feel like sleep can be more powerful than diet in some cases. So for sure, focus your efforts here. Be sure you're getting enough sleep. If you want to lose weight, like start here. Just get eight hours of sleep a night. And I know that's easier said than done um, for people with insomnia. If you have like legit sleep problems, get your hormones tested, um, look at your cortisol Oftentimes, this is an HPA axis dysfunction. Get signed up for my Your Hormone Revival program. Um, If you don't make it into the first round, I know there's a wait list. Get in on the second round. You want to take a look at what your hormones are doing because that is like ground zero for sleep. If you're not a good sleeper, if you're like trying to make the time. I know people that like will go to bed at 9 o'clock and like just cannot fall asleep. Uh, look at your hormones. And I mean stress hormones and sex hormones when I say that. And um, and uh, to any new moms out there or like moms of young kids, I'm sorry, just look away. I'm so sorry I have to say this so brutal I remember hearing all about like the negative health consequences of sleep when when Hattie was she didn't sleep she still till she was two so it was like screw you there's nothing I could do about it um, and I think that's probably why I value sleep so much now is because man sleeping not sleeping for two years will mess you up all right. Next up is this goes hand in hand with stress, but high cortisol. So if you've got that HPA axis dysfunction, if you have high cortisol, that's going to impede weight loss for sure because elevated cortisol levels can contribute to to weight gain, most noticeably around your midsection, but it can become this cycle because adipose tissue actually makes more cortisol. So um, in your fat, your your fat tissue, we can take cortisone, which is the inactive form of cortisol and reactivate it to more cortisol. So it's like this, this wonky cycle with cortisol. Um, So again, another reason to get your stress in check because it's like fighting an uphill battle. Um, And again, you can get your uh, cortisol levels tested in using a Dutch test. Um, through my hormone program. Next up is overtraining or just exercising too much, uh, intense too too much too hard too intense. That also affects your APA HPA axis and your cortisol levels. And it's kind of counterintuitive because you're like, shoot, I'm trying to lose weight, I got to work out super hard, but that just really pushes that cortisol response. Um, and this is going to be even more true if you're. Overtraining and you're undereating. So, those two things combined is a total disaster. Um, and now, undereating might look like eating not enough calories, but it also can look like not eating enough carbohydrates to fuel your activity. And that's something that I get into in my carb compatibility project. We really pick that whole concept apart quite a bit. Um, and, P.S., if you're listening to this in real time, the next carb compatibility project starts August fifth. So think about that. Um, And just keep in mind, like if you want to train like an athlete, right, if you want to do that hardcore intense exercise, whether it's training for marathons or doing CrossFit or interval training or whatever, um, you also have to rest and eat like an athlete, right? So you don't get to just like run yourself into the ground and then throw intense exercise on top of it. That is a recipe for disaster. All right, the next thing we want to look at is thyroid dysfunction. Um, Now, thyroid, so I mean, we all kind of know that hypothyroidism can impair the metabolism. It's not always as simple as, oh, I've gained weight. I must get my thyroid tested. I have the hypothyroidism. I've got to get on the thyroid medication and now I lose all the weight. It's usually not as straightforward as that. For some people, totally. For most people, no. So we have to also assess if there is thyroid dysfunction, like why? Where is it coming from? Is it due to stress because cortisol. So I, I've talked about thyroid a bunch on the show, so I won't go into too much detail here. We, I did a whole episode on thyroid. So if you want to hear more about that, go to uh, that episode. I also talked about um, what a full thyroid panel is. So like the, all the labs you want to get looked at to really assess your thyroid. It's not just, just TSH or T4. Um but we make, our body makes mostly T4, which is a thyroid hormone, and then we have to convert it to T3, which is the most active form of thyroid hormone. And if um, our cortisol is messed up, that can lower the conversion. So we don't have enough uh, T3, we don't have enough active thyroid hormone. Um, Inflammation can also do this. So if we've got hidden inflammation, that can contribute to low thyroid function. Um, Low DHEA can do this as well. So there's many different things that could contribute to this. So you want to kind of peek under the hood and start to figure out if there is a thyroid problem. um, Yes, that could absolutely impact your metabolism, but like what's going on? Why is it happening? Uh, I just touched upon inflammation. That's another contributor to weight gain. Um, and there's so many different reasons for hidden inflammation. Um, one of the most common ones is blood sugar dysregulation. So, dietary stress, like eating an inflammatory diet for sure. So, eating a diet high in sugar, high in refined carbohydrates, that can contribute to inflammation. But even if you're eating a quote-unquote healthy diet and your blood sugar is dysregulated, that is wildly inflammatory to the body. Um, And that's what really why I created the Carb Compatibility Project was so people could regulate their blood sugar because it is like ground zero for health in a lot of ways. Um, I have a couple of episodes that I recorded about blood sugar. So if you want to learn more about that, check those out. Um, Other things, dietary factors that could contribute to inflammation is food sensitivity. So eating foods that you might be sensitive to without realizing it um, you know gluten dairy those are the two big most obvious ones corn's a big one GMO corn for some people GMO um, soy could be two two big big ones um so think about that what what foods could you be eating that you might be sensitive to I'm not a huge 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 fan of food sensitivity testing um, I think elimination diets are a little bit better. Um, I won't go into that right now because... This is already going to be a long episode. Um, and then other things that can contribute to inflammation are hidden infections. So maybe this is like a chronic virus, like an Epstein-Barr virus. Maybe this is like a Lyme disease or a Lyme co-infection, a tick-borne illness, certain things that are just laying, like kicking around in the body. Now, typically with the- these, you'd probably also feel pretty bad. You know, you weight loss probably wouldn't be the only, or excuse me, weight gain probably wouldn't be the only symptom. You'd also have you know feelings of fatigue and other things. but um, that's something to think about. And then hidden infections in the gut. So this is a huge one that I see in my practice. People coming to me being like, I can't, like I've gained weight and I have no idea why. i I work out all, you know, just enough. I meditate, I do yoga. I eat a perfect paleo diet, like I'm doing all the right things and I'm steadily gaining weight. What the heck is going on? And sure enough, we look at their gut and you know, I've seen E. coli, C. diff, parasites, worms, like you name it, there is for sure something going on. Um SIBO like a infection in the large intestine but also an overgrowth in the the small intestine yeast overgrowth all, all sorts of things can happen and this can for sure contribute to inflammation this can for sure contribute to weight gain so that's something that you might also want to think about and usually these would present with other symptoms as well. It's not just weight gain. It's like maybe some, you know, digestive symptoms, maybe some brain fog, uh, maybe some joint pain, maybe some skin manifestations, rashes, um, like, uh, let's see, ringworm, yeast infections, like things like this that would also typically go hand in hand with with a gut dysbiosis problem. Um, but that's something to think about. And then environmental toxins, what's your body burden? I mean, we are we cruise into this world now with many many synthetic chemicals on on our bodies. Like babies are being born pre-polluted because whatever mom's exposed to, baby's going to be exposed to in utero. So, it's kind of frightening is that like we we start out with a high body burden. Body burden is just looking at like what kind of synthetic chemicals are on your person at any given time. and and unfortunately, in in modern day, ours is very high. So um, I'm sorry, I have to take so many water breaks because I just pounded um to give me a little bit of energy for this class oh, this class, this uh, podcast, I pounded coyote river CBD infused Nitro cold Brew coffee which is amazing. It's like, first of all, I love cold brew. I'm a junkie for cold brew, but it makes me like kind of a psychopath. Like I get, I'm like, am I going to have a heart attack right now? Am I going to shit my pants? What's happening? Uh-oh, what's happening? You know, it's so intense, but with the CBD in it, like you don't get that like crazy, buzzy feeling. Um, so shout out to them because it's delicious. Anyway, I'm very dehydrated. <laughs> So I'm like pounding water and having to take water breaks. All right. So let's talk a little bit about this because this is um, something that I'm starting to dip my toe into. And it's, to me, I'm finding it extraordinarily fascinating because I have had labs that indicate this might be my situation. So it's just interesting for me to see. I have like kind of a a vested interest in this. Um, Fat-soluble toxins right that's the problem with toxins if they're fats if they're water soluble we can excrete them more readily but most toxins are fat soluble so they like it's cool it's a cool system because our fat like sequesters them away from our vital organs right but they get they get Trapped in the fat cells, and they they get stuck in our body, and they can start to generate oxidative stress. And this oxidative stress can damage the mitochondria. It can damage other things too. It can damage the thyroid for sure. But we're going to focus on the mitochondria right now. Remember back to you know middle school science: mitochondria are the little organelles in every cell that that generate ATP. They generate our energy. Um, so if there's any type of damage to the mitochondria, our ATP decreases our energy production decreases, it totally depletes. So you'll store fat, you're not going to be burning fat efficiently, you know, that that this is part of what when we talk about metabolism, this is part of what we're talking about, what these little mitochondria are doing. So you're not going to burn fat effectively, you'll start to store it. And then um, if you've ever done an organic acids test, I've, I've mentioned this on the show before. But if you look at the the carb burning the fat burning the energy production section of an organic acids test you'll start to see a lot of low levels and this is where my interest was peaked um so this is part of what i'm studying with my uh, in my in my new functional medicine program we're kind of i was i was trained to like look at the high levels on an organic acids test so the things that are peaking because that tells us like yo there's a problem here take a look but the low levels i was like i don't really ever know what to do with those but if you're seeing them in like when as it relates to your metabolism it's basically indicating a hypometabolic state where your mitochondria aren't making energy effectively. So they're either inactive, um, they're sluggish, they're not able to take oxygen and make energy. So you could be eating well, you could be exercising, you could be doing all the right things, but not seeing results. It's not a simple a- a- as a calories in calories out equation anymore, right? We, you, the truth of the matter is I'm so hesitant to say this, but I cannot dispute science. You have to be in a caloric deficit to lose weight. Right? People mess that up so badly because they just continue to r- restrict and restrict and restrict and restrict, and they're not talking about it, it just becomes so restrictive. I'm going to get into details more so you're not super confused. But in order to lose you know to to lose weight, you do have to be in a caloric deficit. That is true, but it is not the only true piece. And that's what gets overlooked in this whole freaking conversation. We make it try to be so straightforward and so simple. I just had something pop up on my Instagram yesterday. It was like this chick was like flexing her guns and like listed out all of her macronutrients. And she's like, it's as simple as that. And I was like, you're a good saleswoman, but you're not telling the truth. So it isn't as simple as that. It is you know, if you're taking calories in, but you can't burn them, hey, that's going to be a problem, right? And this can also be linked to a hypothyroid situation. So you do, you know, it's never as straightforward as just addressing like one piece of the body. You do want to address, you know, if you're addressing the mitochondria, you probably want to address the thyroid as well, if there's an issue there. But if mitochondria... Um, Mitochondria can can be damaged, and if they get damaged, they're going to be inefficient. Um, but they could also like be dead; they could die off. We can lose mitochondria. So to to, to fix a damaged metabolism, to to fix a hypometabolism, a metabolism that's under functioning, you one have to get mitochondria to work better. Um, this, you know there's a number of different ways to do this. Eating more fruits and veggies is, is a super great place to start. I've talked about Terry Walls on the show before. She talks a lot about mitochondria. Her whole thing is eat nine cups of veggies a day. So that's a lot, right? But there's specific nutrients that we also need, things like carnitine, CoQ10, ton of antioxidants Uh, pqq is another one so there's certain things that we um, need to make sure mitochondria are functioning more appropriately and then we also have to grow new mitochondria if if we're missing some and this is often amino acids so eating sufficient protein, but we also have to make sure that we're actually getting access to that protein. So free form amino acids might be appropriate for you. Um, I might think about working with a practitioner around that, but I'm just trying to give you guys the information. Um, Because those amino acids really are required for mitochondrial Proliferation and can also facilitate the growth of pre existing mitochondria. So it kind of does both. Um, Another one, when I was looking at studies about this, uh, another thing that came up is nitric oxide Um, that can be a modulator of mitochondrial biogenesis. And there is a supplement that I like by Apex Energetics. What the heck is it called? I think it's called nitric oxide. I've taken, I, I, I've supplemented with it on and off. I always get like a boost of energy. I like to take it before I exercise, um, you know. And that might be something to to think about. So that was a super long winded way of saying oxidative damage can absolutely contribute to, I just a broken metabolism for for lack of a better term, like an underactive metabolism, and that can contribute to weight gain or weight loss resistance. And, you know, there are other things that contribute to oxidative damage. I talked about environmental toxins, um, but also overtraining, heavy metals, mold, gut infections, having something like a parasite, all of those things can contribute to that as well. As far as environmental toxins go, I mean, just do the stuff that we talk about all the time on the show. Ditch plastic, stay away from plastic. Use your... um, you know, clean up your personal care products, use non-toxic cleaning supplies, ditch your fragrances, get rid of Glade plugins, don't use scented candles, stop wearing perfume, all that kind of stuff. I think it would probably be important to do like a non-toxic living episode. So we might, we might do that soon coming up if that would be helpful for you guys. Uh, but that's a, that's a really, really big one. Um, And then another issue that can contribute to weight loss resistance is hormonal imbalance, um, for sure. So I talked about the Dutch test already a bunch of times, but that's going to look at your adrenal function, your HPA axis. It's going to look at your sex hormones. um, And that can give you a clear picture of like, hey, what is going on. So, I, I said this on Instagram. I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet, but I did a Dutch test recently, and it showed that my testosterone was like nothing, as low as it could be. So, hey, maybe that's why I wasn't able to put on muscle mass, right? Um, you know, but but these things absolutely impact our, our body composition. So that may be something to to think about and just check out to see how all of that is functioning and then last but not least is mold and I leave this for last because it can be not because it's the least important but it because it can be the most overwhelming I would say um because if there's a mold issue if you're living in a moldy building if you're living in a moldy house that's a huge huge project um but if you've kind of like been through everything else and you're like, I'm still not feeling right. And again, this isn't just going to be weight gain. This is going to be coupled with maybe some brain fog, maybe some headaches, um, chemical sensitivity, like other things are going on as well with the mold issue. But this for sure can contribute to to weight gain. Um, doubtedly. Um, The way to test for that, like in your body, uh, I had to go through a whole mold thing this fall in my house. And um, so I could talk about that at another point, but in your body, a great test for that is Great Plains mycotoxin test. So that's one that I'll run on clients if we do suspect a mold situation. Okay. So those are like the big guys in terms of what could be If you're doing all the quote unquote right things and you're not seeing results, what could be the underlying cause of that? Now, if none of that stuff applies, if you are in good health, but you have extra weight that you wanna lose and you actually have weight to lose, how do we approach that safely, right? This is why I want to have this conversation because I don't wanna just ignore this topic so much that you run into the arms of somebody selling like a really unsafe weight loss program so how do we approach weight loss safely if you've already been through like i'm not stressed i i've i've done the self-auditing i'm a good candidate for weight loss i don't have all those other crazy things going on what's my next step and the first thing to start to reach for is low-hanging fruit. Now, the more weight you have to lose, the more low-hanging fruit there is to pluck. So like this, if you have a lot of weight to lose, a lot of different interventions will work, right? You could just do something like Moving more, and you might see good results. You can just do some simple dietary interventions. You could do, you know, go lower fat. You could go lower carb. You could go keto. You could go paleo. You could go vegan. You could do like all these different things, and you might see some some pretty quick results if you have a lot of weight to lose. Um, it's really basically about cleaning up your diet, right? Switching to a more whole foods diet. Um, getting the processed foods out of there, they do disrupt the neuroregulation of appetite. And this is another place where my opinion differs from that of health at every size and intuitive eating. They're very quick to say, not everybody, but a lot of people in that camp are quick to say there's no such thing as addicted food. Um, Because once you remove the restriction. Once you remove the food rules, then food loses its power and there's no such thing as an addictive food, which I get. And I totally, I totally believe that. But also um, processed foods are extremely hard to moderate because of their chemical nature. They're, they're literally made to make you want more of them. They kind of like, we have this innate ability to regulate our appetite from with our brain, and it kind of breaks that whole system down. So yeah, remove the restriction, remove the food rules, but also we can't overlook that the, the fact that modern food is heavily processed and actually can be addictive for some people. So get that junk out of there, clean up the diet eat primarily whole foods, focus on what you're doing like 90% of the time. I don't really care about what what you're doing 10% of the time. What are you doing most of the time? That's the stuff that, that carries the most weight. That's the stuff that's the most important. And then from there, our, our listener, the, the person that wrote in this question, sounds like she's already doing all that, right? So what's the next step from there? And unfortunately, the less weight there is to lose, the harder it is to lose it. So this is when we start tweaking things around. This is kind of when we start to get into the nitty gritty. Um, this might be when we start to look at calories and start to think about going into a caloric deficit. And this, my friends, is where I'm going to post a disclaimer and say if you're in recovery right now or if talking about calories is triggering for you, I want you to bail on this episode right now and come catch up with me again next week. I love you. You're doing a phenomenal job. This next part probably isn't appropriate for you. Okay, so when I am... Talking about a caloric deficit. So, like I said before, there does need to be a deficit in order to lose weight. That's not a lie. That's the truth. It's just not the whole truth. Remember, you got to think about all the other things that I've talked about. Context is so important. But when you are talking about a deficit, it's with the assumption that you're already eating according to maintenance. So what are your caloric needs to maintain your current body? Um, and again, I'll throw out the body weight planner is a really great one. And I, I've mentioned this before with you guys, but my just to give you some an idea, my in order to maintain my body, I'm like, I always forget how much I weigh. I think it's like around 145. I think maybe 150 some days. I don't know. Um, in order to maintain this, I think it's like 145. In order to maintain this, I have to eat about 24, 2500 calories a day. That's my maintenance. So if you're eating dramatically below that, I'm not telling you to take to to go into a caloric deficit you have to work your way back up to maintenance. Sometimes it's called refeeding and you don't want to do it all like overnight, uh, but that's something to, to, to think about. I'm thinking about like I've spoken with, with people who are eating 1,000 calories a day or I've had ca- uh, clients eating 1,200 calories a day or 1,300 calories a day. And they say if they eat any more than that, they immediately gain weight. If you're at this point, You are metabolically broken, and that's what needs to be addressed first. It is not okay for you to eat 1,200 calories a day and... and to like have no wiggle room with that. That is a problem. There's something going on. You need to look under the hood, address what's happening, and focus on that first. It's not about trying to get you into a lower and lower and lower and lower and lower deficit. That's totally crazy. So um, if that's you, think about refeeding, figure out what your maintenance needs are, and then start adding maybe a hundred calories at a time. Like first, you know, you, a lot of people, it's kind of scary to jump from like 1,200 calories to 2,400 calories overnight, right? But start increasing your calories week by week by week to get to your maintenance and then hold steady at that. Remember, you want to train your body to be safe. Tell your body everything's okay. Regain that body confidence. And then if you have weight loss goals on top of that, that's when you can start to tinker around, tinker around with the next step. The last thing I'm trying to do with this episode is fuel any disordered behavior. And unfortunately, a lot of us have disordered thought patterns and behaviors around food because it's the culture that we're all soaked in daily. So, I I know there. Sometimes we say things, and the way that we say them, they're they're not always heard in the way that we're intended. So that's why I keep making these little pit stops, posting all of these disclaimers. I'm not talking to you about a caloric deficit if you're already in a caloric deficit. Now, again, how do we figure out what our needs are? I do like that body cal- that um the body weight planner. I will, again, link to that in the show notes. But understand that formulas are kind of tricky. Figuring out your caloric needs based on a formula isn't always exact science. Um, There's a lot of guesswork for it to be accurate. In fact, there's too much guesswork for it to be accurate. But so you can use them as a starting point. You can use them as a baseline. But another thing to do is get some more baseline data. And I think a really, really good way to do this is to kind of like live your life how you normally do. Eat what you normally eat, exercise how you normally exercise, and then track what your calories are. So how many calories are you eating right now while you're maintaining your weight? So when I when I compared... Um, what, my, what the body weight calculator told me for maintenance to what I eat to maintain, it was pretty much bang on. So that's why I was, I was like, okay, so this, is, this was a, a good estimate for me, but you have to, you know, that's a really good place to start. It's like, what are you doing for maintenance? How many calories a day are you eating for maintenance? And then from there, you want to move into a deficit, but the deficit part is really important. 10 to 20% is a good place to be you really don't want to start to creep up higher than 20 percent and i didn't do the math ahead of time but for okay so let's let's stick to the 2400 calories right let's say that's your maintenance weight or your maintenance caloric needs 10 percent of that would be 240 and 20 percent of that would be uh 480 right hopefully i'm doing the math i'm doing it on the fly hopefully i'm doing it right so that would be you'd want to decrease your calories by between 240 to 480 calories a day. Max, max, 20% would be like the high, higher end of that. And then this is the part that we all fail to do, check in with yourself. So at whatever deficit you're at, how are you feeling? The goal is to feel better. Shock of all shocks, I know that's crazy. So self-assess, self-audit, be honest with yourself. Are you feeling tired? Are you feeling anxious? Are you having trouble sleeping? Are you irritable? Are you hangry? do you have brain fog? Are you having cognition problems? These are all signs that your deficit is too high. So you want to decrease that caloric deficit. So let's say you come in guns blazing at a 20% deficit and you're starting to like, you notice that your sleep, you know, gets wonky, like you're having a harder time falling asleep or staying asleep at night, or you're waking up in the middle of the night, that sort of thing yeah, you got to go go to 10% and see how you do with that. The problem is that we're so conditioned for like the quick fix. And like, that's what everybody's selling us. It's like, lose 30 pounds in 30 days, right? So we're really conditioned to think about weight loss in those terms. And it's a problem. It's a real problem. Because if you want healthy, safe, sustainable weight loss, you have to do it a little bit more slowly and methodically than a 21-day fix program would have you believe. So to find that that spot of consistent, sustainable weight loss, you also have to be willing to not impair other aspects of your health. So you have to put other aspects of your health as more important goal than weight loss. Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense, right? Like what I was saying before, like my keeping my autoimmune disease in remission, having no joint pain, having energy to work out, having good cognition so I can work and you know, do all the things that I do, produce this podcast, all the things, those to me, like sleeping well at night, sleeping eight, nine hours a night, all of those things are more important to me than any aesthetic goals will ever be, right? So sometimes it requires a priority shift. And again, it's, it's hard to do because that is not the way that our culture looks at things. Um, the next thing that's really important is and that not many of us are doing if you're looking for sustainable weight loss you want to cycle through periods of weight loss and weight maintenance so let's say you have 20 pounds to lose losing 20 pounds all in one fell swoop isn't really smart you don't want to be in a caloric deficit long term so it's it's this is especially true for females um because I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it again, our female bodies view caloric restriction as a stressor. So if you're just in this long-term deficit, you're going to start to grind on your stress response. You're going to start to crush that HPA axis. You're going to trigger your stress response and kick it into high gear. So it's smart to do deficit, maintenance, deficit, maintenance, and approach it in that fashion, okay? So hopefully this is all kind of coming together for you guys and making sense. I had another listener question. She actually wrote into my blog. I was like kicking it old school comments on blogs. I love it. Um, I didn't see it until yesterday and she posted it uh, a month ago, so... My bad. But Dawn, I got you on the podcast. She writes, when I try to figure out... So Dawn, just to give you guys a a little bit of context, she did my carb compatibility project and she really dialed in how to appropriately fuel her exercise. So she does heavy, intense exercise. And so she dialed that in feeling great. Her next question was, So she put her weight loss goals on the back burner because she's like, I just need to figure this out. I want to clean up my diet. I want to make sure I'm eating right. I want to fuel my exercise. Bravo to you, Dawn. Now she's like, all right, my next goal is losing body fat. And she says, when I try to figure out how to lose body fat, I run into the BMI calculation, which says I should lose 40 pounds to be in a healthy range, which has nothing to do with body fat. So to calculate losing 40 pounds – at two pounds per week, I use the body weight planner and it says, so I don't know which body weight planner she was using. Um, it says I should be only taking in 1,100 calories a day. That is upping my activity to a fourth strength training day, which I will never get through on a th- uh, 1,100 calories. My thought about BMI is that it does not take into account body fat, just height and weight. I know that I can lose body fat at this weight and look completely different and be much healthier. What are your thoughts on BMI? Is it even a useful calculation anymore? Is there a calculator for losing body fat? I don't believe that women are just interested in losing weight. In fact, I've gotten away from being held hostage to the number on the scale, but I am hostage to that body fat number. So my focus is losing body fat not necessarily body weight so a lot of good stuff here i talked about bmi last week uh episode 64 so go back i briefly touched upon it um you're right it's not the best indicator it's one metric in in the sea of many it doesn't take into account you know your body your body mass composition so it's not looking at lean muscle mass versus fat mass. It's not doing that. You're right. There are ways to do that. Um, I believe a DEXA scan is one of them. These are not things that I do in my practice, um, but there are ways to compute your body fat. There's also ways to estimate it. Um, there is Keto Gains is a website that you can estimate your lean muscle mass or your body fat percentage using pictures. So that might be some uh, an interesting thing to poke around at just like viewing yourself, um, you know, and that could be, that could be triggersome for some people. So I don't want to send everybody rushing there, but you could, you could estimate it that way. Um, what your, I love the, the, um, the point she brings up, like, Are we really talking, in terms of goals, are we really talking about losing weight or are we talking about losing body fat? So that's like an important distinction that Don made here that I love because it really isn't so much about the number of the scale. It's really more so about body composition. Um, In most of us, what we need to do is actually put on more lean muscle mass because lean muscle mass has a higher metabolic rate. So you're going to increase your metabolism, right? You're going to increase your mitochondria, what, what, mitochondria and, um, you're going to increase your caloric needs. Like it just kind of speeds everything up. So that's what most of us are really looking to do, whether we know it or not, like that's kind of it. Um, while simultaneously decreasing our body fat. Now, one thing I want to point out, two pounds per week is a is too much. That's too quickly. You're losing weight too quickly. That's why it dropped down your caloric needs so low, I would assume. So I can't say for sure what's going on with that calculator. Obviously, that is like way, way, way too low. So I don't know what you programmed in. Um, I don't know if you plugged yourself in as like low exercise or low activity when it really should be more like high activity. I can't really speak to that. I can say that Obviously, 1,100 calories isn't enough to sustain you, never mind your workouts. So um, when we're talking about weight loss, we want to also talk about muscle mass because here's the trick. You actually can't put on muscle mass in a caloric deficit. Um, I mean, and again, that's true for most people. You have to feed muscle mass it's really hard. I mean, some of us, depending on our genetics, some of us have an easier time putting on muscle mass. For those of us who don't, you have to feed those muscles. So if you're looking to actually pack on muscle mass, like you have to be in a caloric surplus sometimes. So having simultaneous goals of putting on muscle mass and losing weight can be really tricky because sometimes the best that you can hope for is just to maintain the muscle mass that you have. So like long, this is why we have to stop thinking in short-term goals and start really thinking about the long play. Um, You actually might need to go either go like maintain your you know, do like a caloric maintenance or even a caloric surplus while like lifting heavy weights to try to put on muscle mass. This is this this can work really well for some people. And then maybe do that for six months or something and then start to move into a deficit in order to lose body fat. Okay. So there's I mean it's just I think hopefully if nothing else, you walk away from this being it Understanding it's not as simple as calories in, calories out. So let's say your goal is to maintain your muscle mass or even maybe like put on some muscle mass while also losing weight. Again, usually the best you can hope for is maintenance. But there's three things to keep in mind when your goal is lose fat mass and maintain lean muscle mass. And the first one is don't lose weight too rapidly. So if, if you were trying to lose two pounds per week, you're going to be losing muscle mass with that for sure. If you lose weight too quickly, you're, you're totally gonna, you're going to totally pull on your, your muscle mass. So a better goal would be to lose point, like a half a pound to a pound per week. Half a pound probably is on the safer side. I wouldn't go more than one pound per week or else you're definitely losing muscle mass. The next thing to understand is that muscle mass is energetically expensive to maintain. So, I mean, that's why it's it's, it's more metabolically active. So it requires more energy. Um so you need an anabolic stimulus to convince your body that it's worth worth keeping muscle mass because when you lose weight you lose your energy stores so you basically have to convince your body that it makes sense almost like you know financial sense if you're thinking about energy as currency um it makes sense to keep your muscle mass. So, you, this is gonna look like strength training. Make sure you're doing some type of strength training to maintain that muscle mass. That's what the anabolic stimulus is. Catabolic is breaking things down, anabolic is building things up. And the third thing is making sure that you're eating enough protein because you need those resources to maintain lean muscle mass. I already talked about protein once with mitochondrial synthesis, uh, but you also need it for for your for, to maintain muscle, right? Um, and now that obviously begs the question, well, how much protein do we need? There's a lot of different. Um, there's a lot of different theories out there or calculations out there. One idea is one gram of protein per, per lean muscle mass. So again, you either need to know what your lean muscle mass or calculate it based. You know, estimate it based on um, those photos that I was telling you about. Or you could even do one gram of protein per pound of targeted weight. So let's say, so I said I was 145. Let's say I want to lose 10 pounds. I, that would put me at 135 as my targeted body weight. So I would shoot for 135 pounds. So no, 135 grams of protein every day, which is obviously a lot of protein. And to be honest, I, I personally have a hard time hitting those numbers. Um, I think it's just because I don't Love. Um, I don't love animal protein that much. I mean, I eat it because I feel better eating it, but it's not like my most favorite thing of all time. So um, it's hard to get those numbers without some type of supplementation, like a protein powder, that sort of thing. So but suffice it to say you need adequate protein. And then also, if you are in a caloric deficit for weight loss, protein is the most satiating of, out of all the macronutrients. So if you're reducing your calories, protein helps to um, keep you feeling overly hungry, keep you full. And it's also a great way to stabilize your blood sugar. So you're not going into like low blood sugar swings from not eating enough. So gosh, I thought this was going to be shorter than it was i had a lot to say on the subject i guess um i hope that cleared up some of the confusion i mean i'm not telling everybody out out there to like go lose weight i just want if you are approaching weight loss i want to make sure you're approaching it in a safe sound rational way in really self-assessing does this even make sense for me? Should I even be attempting this right now? Or are there other things that I need to do in my life, in my health, in my body, in my food to set me up to maybe approach this goal later on down the line? All right. That's another one in the books, in the wraps. I never know how to end these things. It's always so awkward. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.